Hey guys, we're back. We are back. It's been a little bit. Uh, Mesh was traveling, I was traveling, but we're back together and we're really excited to um, share with you our latest episode with the world champion, Yuri Foreman. Yeah, really interesting conversation, inspiring, invigorating. Yuri's an incredible person. And I think that, at least for me, with all the with all the things going on in Israel and the war, and I've been spending a lot of time thinking about the concept of what Jewish strength means uh, on a on a personal level, on a communal level, uh, on a on a on a religious level, all those topics, and we touch on a lot of those things and how it kind of correlates with fighting. What does fighting mean? What is how does fear correlate with that? It's really kind of topical, um, uh, interesting ideas that feel really vital. Uh, at this point in time. Yeah, Yuri is so cool. I mean, I've been a fan of his since I'm a teenager, and he's always represented the Jewish people with so much strength and uh, great attitude, and he led, his attitude led him to be on top of the boxing world um, when he won the world championship and um, was such an honor to have him on. And we actually had him on pre-October 7th, um, but you know, he's been carrying this attitude and this energy um, his whole career. And there's so much to learn from it, like Mesh was saying, um, during these times specifically uh, that we find ourselves in, um, you know, he really embodies that David versus Goliath energy. And, the, and Hanukkah, the Maccabees. Yep. Yeah, exactly. So uh, with Hanukkah coming up, with the times we find ourselves in, I, I hope you guys all very much enjoy our conversation with Yuri and um, get to be inspired like we were. Take care, guys. Enjoy. Our guest today is Yuri Foreman, also known as the Boxing Rabbi and the Lion of Zion. Yuri is a former WBA light middleweight champion and the first Israeli champion ever. He is an ordained rabbi, a co-founder of BBR, of BBR Kosher, a husband and a father. As a student of his, I can personally attest to him being a great boxing coach, a really funny dude, a scholar, and a gentleman, and it gives me great pleasure to have him on our podcast today. Yuri. Welcome to a ton to talk about. Thank you very much for having me, Aaron and Yosef. I uh, appreciate your invitation. And yeah, let's have fun. Yeah, so I want to I wanna start. Um, I don't know if I've actually told you this, but my father, so you're from the, the former Soviet Union, from Belarus. My father uh, is from Russia and he's from St. Petersburg. And, uh, and, you know, he's a bit older than you. He, uh, he just turned 68, even though he's in, he's in better shape than I am, actually. So he's a very role model. But uh, he grew up in St. Petersburg. And and one of the things that he that he uh, has told me about his childhood is that he was immediately, uh, he was very recon recognizably Jewish, um, even though our name is not necessarily a Jewish name, but he looks Jewish and uh, everyone knew he was Jewish, his classmates. And he was constantly getting into fights to defend himself from people that wanted to uh, to pick on him because of his Jewishness. And very early on, he had to, uh, you know, learn how to fight and learn how to defend himself and uh, and kind of establish himself as someone not to be messed with. So I wanted to know, um, growing up in, you grew up in, um, in Gomo, I think in, in southeast uh, Belarus, and was that something that you had to deal with? Uh, my father grew up in the in the you know late fifties, early sixties. You were growing up in the eighties. But uh, how similar of an experience did you have 
um, growing up uh, as a Jew in Belarus. Yeah, so what a story your dad had, but it's pretty much, I think, uh, fits the all the blueprint of all the Jewish people of older generation is older than me. So it's in, actually it falls like with my dad's upbringing as well. Um, so um, I don't know if you notice, but the Russian people in general are older Russian people. They are, they're not talking much, you know, they're not uh, running them out, so to speak, because um, in Soviet Union, it was, you had to answer for your, for your words. You know, if you say something foolishly and somebody just going to call upon that and uh, you might just get serious retribution, you know. Um, mm -hmm. But it's, yeah, early on, even though I was not so much picked in the school, but I, I got picked a few times. And uh, now I'm telling my kids, for example, uh, one is 12, 10, and 6. You're telling the older boys, 12 and 10, that they have to learn how to defend themselves because this is a skill. It's not something you want to learn how to uh, have, I don't know, professional career of it because I don't wish that upon no one because it's kind of hard living. I wish I studied better in school. At some times I do. Um, but it's a necessity, especially living in Brooklyn. You know, in Soviet Union it was especially, you know, you had to learn how to fight early. If we would, for example, work in Talmud, for example, say every father have to teach their son how to swim. You know, it's good, but, you know, it's good and it's very necessary skill. But unless we're living in a world, some kind of a water world, you know, you have to learn, you have to teach your kids how to swim. But we're living in Brooklyn. We're living in city of New York City. And for years I've been already advocating for every Jew I have to learn. It doesn't matter. Kid, especially kid, especially seven years old and up have to learn how to fight, learn how to martial arts, Krav Maga, whatever it is. Um, and that's, and that's what it is. That's why Russian Jews coming in from Soviet Union. And then, uh, you know, they serious, but they mean business, you know, and that's why, um, they spoke so little, they speak so little. Yeah. 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 I, I, uh, I definitely agree with that. And I think that if, if you know how to defend yourself, there's a certain confidence that it gives you where people actually, they don't even try to mess with you. Once we're talking about my dad, uh, so I'll, uh, th there's a, a story that happened to him and I, I, I witnessed it when I was young and it stuck with me because uh, it was just powerful in the, way, um, in the way that sometimes these stories when you're a kid, they are. And so uh, we went on a family trip to Hershey Park in, in Pennsylvania and we were staying, it was like a Jewish organized trip of some sort. We were staying in a hotel and we were walking back uh, to the hotel from the park. We had taken the, the bus back and there was some, there was a group of us, maybe like 20, 30 Jews. And there was some, some guy outside the hotel that uh, started kind of yelling not nice things. And he was behind the group and he was uh, yelling it towards the, towards the group and anti-Semitic stuff and just not really nice things. And I was probably about seven years old at the time. And the whole group started to like walk quicker towards the hotel and i 
I start following them and we all start following them. It was just a natural thing. You're afraid you're in a foreign city and someone's acting aggressive. And so we all start walking quickly to the steps. And then I turn around and I see that my father is not speeding up. And not only is he not speeding up, but he's actually slowing down. Like he's not looking back at the guy, but he's slowing down and just walking more casually and showing less fear. And everyone looked at him like he was crazy, but the guy didn't even come near him. The guy crossed the street and, and actually just shut up. And for me, it was powerful how if you have a certain level of confidence and you, and you believe in yourself and don't show fear, then people actually just won't mess with you, you know? Yeah, totally agree. I think your dad was waiting till all of you enter a hotel and then he's going to whoop this <laughs> and whoop, whoop this knucklehead. You're somebody that I really looked up to. Uh, you know, when I was a yeshiva as a teenager, I saw you all over the media and the sports media and how you were dominating the sport and so proud, how proud you are to be Jewish and provide and show the Israeli flag at your fights. It's really, really an honor to have you on today. Um, with that said, I would really love to get an understanding of more about the person and the journey that you've been on. And for our listeners to understand, you know, where, how you, you got to where you got to. I know you moved out of uh, Belarus to Israel. Was that when you were a child? Can you give us a little bit what was it like for you, you know, first coming to Israel, your time in Israel? Did you join the army? What what your feelings were uh, and when, when you made that move? Sure. And yes, uh, good to talk to you again. And thank you for having me. Um, for the kind words. So my move to Israel, I was 10 years old. So I didn't have no say in it. My parents decided to immigrate from Soviet Union I would say probably a month before uh, Soviet Union collapsed, 1991. Um, we settled in Haifa. And actually, it's funny because first day we we came to uh, to Israel, we landed in Ben-Gurion International uh, Airport. And uh, they welcoming all the Soviet, ex-Soviet now, uh, new immigrants with the trays of cut uh, oranges, you know. And mm-hmm. and I remember I was coming down and tasting these oranges, and I was like, "Did we just arrive in paradise?" So it was it was amazing, it was beautiful. Um, till the next morning, we came there very like midnight, and the next morning when I woke up already in Haifa, it was um, weather. You know, sometimes there's the severe weather, like Hamsin. Hamsin is the the wind that comes from the from desert. You know, it's. 100, 110 degrees, you know, and it was excruciating pain, you know, it's just to be outside. Um, but, you know, I I, I kind of like, in one way, um, I relate to immigrants now, you know, coming to, in the beginning, when I read, for example, books of fighters that came here, Jewish fighters who came here in 20s, 10s, 20s, and 30s, you know, and settled in the uh, Lower East Side or Chicago. And um, and I can only relate how hard it was. So in Israel, uh, my parents worked two jobs each, and I was going to school. And and my second day in school ended up in a huge fight. It was crazy. I remember... Um, 
in the school, I was in, uh, I was, I settled in a kind of a, I would say lower income uh, neighborhood in Haifa called Khatibat Karmel. And I went there to in middle, middle school, I think till fifth grade, I'm sorry, public school, you know? And, uh, I was in the fifth grade and the first, uh, as soon as I entered the class and I was new, so the teacher was talking about in Hebrew about we have a new student from Olechadash Mirusia and this and that. And uh, there was another Russian boy who spoke Hebrew and he was translating it to me. And she, I was very shy kid, by the way, um, unlike now. And um, and um, she put me on, on, on in the front of the class and she started asking questions. Like, please tell, explain, explain the class how horrible it was for you to live in Soviet Union, you know? So, like, for example, your dad in St. Petersburg, you know, and uh, it was a different reality in Soviet Union. You know, I was towards the end of the 80s when Ronald Reagan already brought the perestroika, the movement, the Soviet Union. Things were much more kind of shadow of Soviet Union. So... So she asked me to tell the students how horrible it is to be a Jew in Soviet Union. And my experience as a 10 years old kid, I, I didn't, I, I noticed on the face that how disappointed she was in me that I didn't say the horrible things that she wanted to. And right after the school, as all the kids were stepping out from um, class, um, classes, like let's say, there was pretty much the end of the school day, and uh, and there was one entrance, uh, one exit, and everybody was probably a hundred kids stepping out, and one kid, uh, stand up right in front of me, put his forehead into my forehead, and he was, I would say, a little like dark skinned kid, little darker skinned kid, probably from Morocco, you know, and. And you start yelling something at me. I knew you yelling something, something impolite, you know, and he pushed me. And as a reflex, I pushed him back. And then he jumped me and he's his friend and two of his friends jumped. And they start kind of wrestling and kind of scratching me. And uh, and I was the only thing I knew how to make my fist and punch back. So, so I beat up those two kids. I had the whole scratches all over my face. And that was my second day in Israel. I came, I came home. I didn't want to go to school anymore. My mom right away seen what's happening, and uh, she told my dad to go to the school next next morning. And and I I protested. I was like, my dad not gonna come with me because I look like I'm a coward or something. That I'm. Anyway, this is my first kind of initiation. But also, it was 1991. It was difficult for I guess for Israelis to accept a huge wave of Russian immigrants. Mm. Anybody knows Russian, I suggest you go to Brighton Beach, or if you're in Canada, like uh, Toronto, there's Russian neighborhoods, and you'll see, you know, you're going to buy something, they're not going to smile and say, how are you today? It's just like, next, <laughs> next, you pay, and there's no have a good day. <laughs> And, um, so I understand Israelis a little bit and that was my, the beginning. This, that something was definitely shaping me to be a little bit more tougher because that's what 
Hashem made us, you know, we want to learn, you want to grow muscles, you need a resistance. You want to have good biceps, you have to start lifting weights. You have to have a good character, you kind of have to be pushed around. You know, go to 770 on the high holidays, you know, try to go that they push you around left and right. <laughs> so it's, it's necessary for growth. How long were you in Israel? How long did, what were you there for? Lived in Israel for almost eight years. Almost eight. Almost eight. I think almost to the day I came to United States. 1998. Almost. Yeah, actually 99. I'm sorry. 1999. Almost in May. Or I think in May. Mid-May. Something like that. My boxing career actually started in Israel. First of all, I started Soviet Union a little bit. I had about four fights in Soviet Union, age of seven and eight and nine. I had a fight here, fight there. One, one, uh, one highlight, I would say, as I started boxing, I was in Soviet Union still, and uh, I bullied by a uh, bigger kid. And, and for the first time, I remember as kind of, I was scared, but I remember getting a boxing stance and I punched him one, two right to the nose and that's when i realized like oh wow you actually can defend yourself uh same one one two as Aaron you you was throwing yesterday as well so right you you were probably throwing it better at age seven than i was doing it repetition repetition you just have to throw ten thousand times mm -hmm. um but in israel i that's where i started more serious um i had a, about maybe three or four years of break not doing boxing i did some other things like i was always try i had a lot of energy so i always wanted to i would go to weightlifting gym i didn't know what to do there there was a, a pair of gloves two pair of gloves and my me and my friends were just smashing each other in the hallway um in one of the buildings um it was like a community center and then I remember uh, boxing, there was a boxing trainer came from Soviet Union and he would start teaching classes and I joined. It was 1995. And that's when I realized that that's what I, I, I became like a regular, regular in the gym. And I was showing some uh, kind of uh, among, I would say among three or four top students. And this gave me kind of courage and more motivation to continue and to be better at it. And that's when I started my amateur boxing career. Um, I won national at, uh, national championship in Israel about three times and kind of built my name in Israel in terms of a boxer. But if you've been in Israel, you realize that boxing is not the favorite sport there. It's uh, It would be soccer and basketball, you know. And I always joke with it. If you look at the map of Israel, right, and you uh, look at the map, right, and you see the country that's surrounding us, none of us, none of those neighbors loving us, you know. And it's surprising that we chose to play soccer instead of, I don't know, Krav Magan, martial arts, boxing, you know, shooting weapons or something. Because we're surrounded by enemies, and that's how it always been, you know. When you started, uh, do you remember what's the type of thing where you you um, you put on those gloves and you had a feeling like this is this is me like this is what I'm going to do 
and you felt like it was a match made in heaven or was it something that it was only gradually that you realized okay this might actually be uh be my future yeah so i fell in love with boxing when i was still in soviet union i was about nine years old and for the first time in soviet union they show a fight i'm translated uh life i don't know actually life or it was pre-recorded and it was mike tyson mike tyson fighting with canadian canadian fighter yossi from your town from your neck of the wood um uh, donovan razor Ruddock. and he fought him twice actually but i remember till then i was my role models were still are but Bruce Lee, you know, Bruce Lee was the, was the a kind of a person I was looking at. There's all the movies I was watching. And then I seen this person, Mike Tyson. And I thought for the first time it was the big guy because Don and Razor, Razor Ruddock was huge guy. And uh, this is Mike Tyson. And my dad says, no, Mike Tyson's the shorter guy. And uh, I remember it's almost imprinted on me. I wish I could uh, kind of translate this excitement that I had when this commentator, Russian commentator says, ladies and gentlemen, here is in a red corner standing Mike Tyson 5'11", and traditional, in this traditional outfit, black trunks and black shoes with no socks. No socks. It didn't make sense. It's all like, you don't wear boxing shoes. With those socks, it was like so kind of crazy and cool at the same time. And once I saw his movement, and it was not prime Mike Tyson. You know, it was Mike Tyson already, you know, uh, suffering. I think, I believe, suffering a loss already. And and it was just a powerhouse still, you know. And I just fall in love with boxing. I thought, like, this is what I want to be. So once I continued in Israel, that was my, I knew that I want to be a boxer because my school education, my education in schools in Israel were, were, were bad, you know, bad because I, um, I couldn't pay attention. Uh, I was a little bit perhaps attention deficit disorder or whatever, um, it's got better with the years, but but I couldn't pay attention. And then I, I was just, just skipping schools. Uh, but I remember I had like two, I, I, lo- I probably skipped maybe 60 or 70 days in a row one day. Oh, not one day, a couple months. <laughs> that has been more. Um, so I knew that um, my, box, my school career is behind me. Um, and that's what I want to be. And that's what boxing was my outlet my outlet of staying out of trouble. I still got in trouble, but, but it was, it's gave me, it's gave me, it's gave me discipline, a great amount of discipline. And also all my friends were Russian. So it's a discipline of watching what you're saying around what people, because some people, you don't know people, you know, people could be quiet and you have to be careful around quiet guys, you know, because all my friends were Russians. I, I didn't have Israeli friends. I felt like outcast. Um, one of the also experiences in Israel is when, when um, in the beginning, probably maybe the first, the first summer in Israel, um, after school, I used to go take a bus and 
go to help my parents to clean the offices. That's what they did for the first year in Israel. And uh, and I remember after I helped my mom, we was after like an evening, we was waiting for the bus to take to take us back home. And there was a little bakery by the bus station. And I spoke a little bit Hebrew. And my mom asked me, Yuri, do you want, I buy you a little cookie, you know? And I say, sure, thank you. And and she asked the the lady, please, Yuri, ask the lady, um, how much is the cookie? And I ask, I ask the lady, um, kama ze ole? <laughs> and, uh, and and the lady, she was a young gal, probably like some break or something. And uh, I was eleven, barely eleven years old. And she said, she said, the gidli imashulcha, she she lo yela and lo yela must pick kesev bakishela. And I was so afraid to translate it. They said, tell your mom that she not have enough money in her pocket for this cooking. I was so afraid to. To translate it, and I said to my mom, um, "You know, mom, uh, actually, I don't want cookies." <laughs> and uh, my mom realized, real, she'd seen my face probably. She's like, "Okay, tell me what she just said." And the girl says, five shekel." I said, five shekel." And my mom, you know, ninety-one five shekel for a cookie was a little bit for us it was a little expensive, but anyway, it was like a dollar, I guess. So, yeah, that was like one of the, and I felt kind of, I didn't, like, I felt embarrassed. I felt embarrassed as a Russian kid there. You know, my, my confidence level was tanked and it stayed there with me like that for quite a few years till kind of boxing helped me to get my confidence back, to believe in myself. And in the end, you know, pretty much like in Brooklyn, we say, don't give a shit what people say, you know, about you, behind your back. Full disclosure, guys, we have bills to pay. This podcast doesn't happen for free. That's life. We're not asking you for any money, and we hopefully never will, but we do have sponsors, and our platinum sponsor for this inaugural season is none other than Level Up Listings. Level Up Listings is founded by a really good friend of ours. Um, What they do, what their service is, uh, is they help online sellers simply level up their listing. Um, How do they do that? They help you understand the market that you're in. Uh, they'll help you um, create content and specifically renders, 3D renders. That lifelike images. Light, like mesh, lifelike images that uh, you could ask them for these uh, case studies that are tr- just like the market's formative. Yeah, transformative. Their, their return on investment is super high. And check them out, leveluplistings.com and mention a ton to talk about for 10% off. So you come to America. You come to America, to the land of uh, land of opportunity, where the, the streets are paved with gold. Were you aware? Because I was doing uh, some research, uh, just as part of my prep for this, and I was I was doing some research in terms of of the, uh, a little bit of the history of of Jewish boxing, and and it's absolutely crazy, especially in the beginning of the century. For our listeners that aren't that aren't aware, I, what I read was that it, there was something like a third of all boxers. Were, were Jewish, and between the beginning of the century and World War II, Jewish boxers won 27 world titles, uh, were won by Jewish boxers, and the, they had, also, they all had, like, crazy names. There was a guy named 
Flapsy, Maxi, Rosenblum, uh, Lou Tendler, Kingfish, Levinsky. There's a famous boxing commentator, the late Bert Sugar. And I was reading something he was saying, and he said that, uh, that, that some boxers, Jewish fighters were so famous that some non-Jewish boxers would change their names to sound Jewish because they wanted to be, uh, they wanted to sound Jewish. There was a, a boxer, uh, Sammy Mandel, and his name wasn't Sammy Mandel. His, his real name was, was Mandela, who was Italian. And he changed his name to sound Jewish. And I didn't, I, I didn't know about any of this. I didn't know that Jews had such a rich, rich history. But I think it's, it is, I think, connected to, to what you mentioned earlier about coming to a new country and trying to find a place for yourself um, and a way, to, a way to adapt and a way to give yourself confidence. So were you aware when you came and you start training uh, in New York, were you aware of those, of those shoes, of that legacy that you were um, becoming a part of? So I did not know when I came to the United States in 99, I, I was completely oblivious to uh, Jewish history or boxing Jewish history. Um, and you're right. If people want to know about their brothers, so to speak, immigrants from Jewish fighters from Eastern Europe or Europe who came here in the beginning of the last century, you know, it's a lot of, it's a lot to be proud of. There's a great book called, uh, when boxing used to be a Jewish sport, it's a great book on uh, naming all the fighters and not just amazing to you or to, to add to what you just said, when a lot of non-Jews was changing their names to sound more Jewish, but there was also a lot of Jewish fighters, their mothers were so against them fighting that they were changing their name, Jewish name to sound very Goish non-Jew uh, names, which is also, you know, kind of very funny. Uh, those are a lot of great, great fighters. And uh, people ask me what, what have changed. And the one secret ingredient, I think, in my mind is, is because they were all immigrants. You know, as soon as they stopped being immigrants, second generation, they already... They already went businesses, business, this and that. They came from very rough areas in Eastern Europe. They had to literally fight to survive. And they came here in Philadelphia and Chicago and Lower East. They had to fight bare knuckles to feed themselves, you know. And that's, I'm telling you, this is something with, it gives you so much, you know, um, confidence that you know you are ready for anything, whatever life throws at you. One of my favorite Jewish fighters, uh, Barney Rose, for example. You know, his, his story is, is amazing. It's amazing. This should be a movie, like a, a, a huge Hollywood or great, great movie about him. He had siblings, younger siblings, sister and uh, brother, I believe. And his father was a rabbi, had a little store in the ghetto of um, Philadelphia. And right in front of him, they, it was a robbery, and they killed his father right in front of him. His mother lost, lost. Uh, she was had to be admitted to a psych unit, and and the kids were kids were went to um, to orphanage, you know, not orphanage, whatever they keep the kids um, who have parents. I mean, at least one parent, but they had to go uh, to the house, you know, like, and he escaped. He promised to his younger siblings that they're going to get enough money and and will get them together. 
and you start fighting on the streets till they discover boxing, turned professional, became one of the greatest world champions of all time. And we're talking about world champions when there was only one belt, not three belts or four belts like today, you know. You are legit, you know. And yeah. he became world champion and made a lot of money. And he got his mom um, back and his siblings back. He was also, not just that, he was also a, a veteran of Second World War. He was in Europe fighting, killing Nazis, you know. And wow. got wounded and um, he got hooked on morphine, you know. And mm -hmm. that was that really drain him, drain him financially, drain him spiritually. And um, yeah, and it was just a tough human being, you know, like in the end, today we are, doesn't matter of our, of our physical condition, we might have a little overweight or we might have not enough muscles or whatever, but we standing on the shoulders of giants. We have to be proud what we are coming from. Read of even the book of you know, Genesis, you know, Bereshit, you know, like Abraham, you know, he had to be fighting four kings, you know, five kings, or, you know, like he had to kill, he had to survive, you know, he had to fight for the land that Hashem gave him, you know, and then King David, the King David was not even the side, he was not a huge guy, you know, but he had so much heart, you know, heart, like, I mean, the heart, like, as they say, you know, somebody's brave, they say, do you have heart, kid? And, and it's it's fascinating out of all the characters you know like there is there's the people of the mind the intellect you know and and there's this warrior king david he was a he was a he was a he was a person of a heart you know it's big difference because those people wrote a prophetic books and he wrote songs you know psalms because he would not give you a some kind of a sophisticated book but he was all about the heart he was all about love. He was all about war, blood. <laughs> Our ancestors, you know, they were powerful people, huge, powerful. Just hundred years ago, they had to travel across the, the, cross, cross the Atlantic, you know, and they settled here. They had to fight and to survive, and they managed, and they managed by loving the kids, being, you know, loving and give them hugs, and that's where we are now. I was curious to know, just, you know, for our listeners and for myself to get a better understanding, I know there's many different types of boxing, right? Different types of boxing styles. What, which one, which boxing style do you practice, right? And could you also then also share a little bit of like, okay, so, you know, you're in, you're in New York, um, you're getting into, into the space, you're, you're winning matches. Could you give us a little bit of how the, the journey went? from uh, you know just winning boxes to, to making it to the big stage so first question about the style um as i said earlier mike tyson was my kind of idol you know for this pick it was it was my i wanted to emulate i wanted to be like i wanted to be having his style you know he'll boxing coach told me you know yuri you don't have a a body complexion like mike tyson <laughs> You know, <laughs> long, you know, long legs, long arms, you know, kind of skinny, you know, and 
someone like Muhammad Ali, you know, it's thinking boxing. Even though Mike Tyson was very scientific, he was, if you'll notice his early fights, he was rarely getting hit. He was very smart and very scientific. He used his size to his advantage. He fought bigger guys, but he used his shorter, stockier um, style to have an advantage. And he had advantage. And he was very, very mobile. His upper body was very fast and he was not getting hit a lot. But Muhammad Ali, someone who is, I was watching hundreds of hours of his movies and films of his fights. And I was emulating him. And when I came here already, I kind of developed, so to speak, my own style in that. But it's like, it's uh, the best way to describe it is the best way to describe it as um, my uh, a, a good friend who was a legendary matchmaker. Matchmaker, not Jewish matchmaker, not like a shidduch, shatsan, <laughs> or matchmaker in boxing. It's a person who is uh, who matches the fighters together, you know, to have a great fight. And he was a legendary. He was like a walking Wikipedia before internet. Um, his name is John Boz. They everybody calling Johnny Boz. And uh, and he says, Yuri, remember, let me tell you, boxing is the art of defense. I don't care who gonna tell you that boxing is aggression. Boxing is always being known as the art of defense. And he says, Jews took that art of defense to the next level. He says. They fought as like, what is the Jewish uh, art of defense? And he says, to hit and not to get hit. You hit someone, and when they hit you back, it's you ne you're never there. You know, you punch him and make sure you make him miss up. So that's something I took his word, words uh, to heart. And uh, boxing is, I always been, um, I admire boxers. There's the fighters and there's a box. Fighters would be more known as understood as someone would stay in front of you. You hit him once and eat you three times. You know, just a tough dude going to take a lot of abusement, a lot of punishment, like a Rocky movie, you know. There's not much defense, you know. And then there is a boxers. Boxers is, uses the ring, uh... Uh, the ring uh, space, you know, he uses his G jab and reaches quickness. And when he throws, he have to land. And when the other guy throws, he have to move away from that, you know. And that's what that's what I admire the most. It's a thinking boxing. And it's also good for your health as well because if you're getting hit a lot in the head, and boxing is everybody know, doesn't matter how good is your defense is, you're still gonna get hit. And it's it's definitely going to affect your health. That's one. Uh, so that's my I kind of develop my my own style, you know. Because in the end, like uh, Reb Zusha said, you know, you cannot be Moses, you cannot be Abraham, you can be you, you know. And I was watching uh, Tyson, I was Ali, Oscar De La Hoya, Sugar Leonard, um, a lot of other great, 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 great fighters, and I love little things that they used to do and kind of in there this kind of shapes you you know because in boxing you have to do repetitions and repetitions and repetitions you have to throw a punch jab not just once first first training 
and then we do on the second training something else. But you have to do it over and over and over till it becomes your unconscious. It's your you're consciously throwing punches, but you're doing it so often that it becomes your unconscious. And so when there is a opening, you don't think to punch. You just punch. You know, it's your second nature. You know, um, so second question as as you're getting into the into the getting ready for a fight. You know, everybody's different. Everybody's different how they're dealing with it. It's a lot of pressure. It's a lot of uh, you feel like anxiety a little bit. You know, let's say a week. A week, uh, in the week you're going to be fighting, you know. Let's say Mosei Shabbos, like, oh, next Mosei Shabbos, I'm going to be fighting. It's kind of gives you a little bit kind of blood butterflies here and there, you know. But you have to also kind of control this because you don't want to burn out. You know, it's important that you're not, you're not worried this about this much. You want to, you're going to sleep, you want to sleep well. You want to sleep without worries because what is more scariest thing is, the fact of the factor, the unknown fact, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. And that's scary, you know, and um, my usual kind of a thing that I don't try not to pay attention. And once I'm already in location and I'm fighting, let's say Shabbos and I'm already in hotel, I, I kind of try not to think about it, but there's a moments where where you kind of have to tell yourself you did all the hard work you didn't take no shortcuts whatever the coach asked of you every single training till this moment you not just did it you did it way more than that and in the end you leave it to kind of to Hashem because now I did all my work I did possibly all my preparation and right now it's in Hashem's thing. I'm going to do my best. As the referee says, the last words of the referee before the fight starts, when you touch the gloves, you touch the gloves with your opponent, the referee, the last word says, protect yourself at all times. You know, and it's very, it's a key. It's not just in boxing, it's also in life. You have to protect yourself at all times. You have to throw a punch. That's when you guys throwing yesterday in the training. You throw one punch, Let's say your jab, your left, or let's say your right, if uh, your jab is your right, if you're lefty, you throw a jab, but your other hand have to protect your other side of the of the of the face and or your ribcage because you have to protect your, yourself at all times. You um you had a post on Instagram. This is just a follow up uh, what you were saying about kind of dealing with nerves uh before a fight you posted i i think it was a couple months ago you had a post on instagram where you spoke about your great-grandmother and how she um how she uh, gave you a a psalm speaking of king david uh and psalm 91 and and one of the one of the lies that is it it talks about fear and it talks about uh, kind of how how faith and fear interact with each other so i wanted to i guess ask you to to talk a little bit more about fear because uh i'm sure in boxing especially when you're getting into the ring fear is there there, there, there's no you can't try to kind of get rid of it i guess you can try but it's going to be there no matter what and i and and in my mind um it's just kind of a question of what you do with it i i read this quote from uh 
uh, I think he was he was Mike Tyson's uh, manager or, or trainer. His name was um, Customato. Yeah, Customato. And he said he said uh, he had a lot about fear. He said that um, the difference between I'm paraphrasing, but but the difference between a hero and a coward is that the the hero projects his fear onto his opponent, and the coward the coward runs. But uh, and he was saying so. The only difference is what you do with the fear. Uh, as opposed to kind of uh, one having fear and, and and one not, and I think that's a really powerful, powerful line. And so, what I want to know is first, what if you can just talk a little bit of what that experience of fear is like, and how you would deal with it, and uh, with it in the actual um, ring itself, and how how faith plays a role. Yeah, it's a great question, and uh, yeah, great uh, quote by Casdamado. Um, He's also an old school, old school person, you know, who was, who knew so much about life, you know. So fear is, it's a kind of an intimate, it's an intimate dance between individuals and every person is susceptible for fear. Professionals, what, uh, let's say, special forces, they all have fear. It's what you do with it. It's how you control it. And uh, fear is something, again, it's, a, it's kind of an unknown factor, unknown. You know, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what's, what this, you're going to feel this fear. Fear is, to me, if I let it sink in, if I feel a little bit of fear, and if I'm going to stay my, if I'm going to keep my, my focus, my, my conscience on, on the fear, I'm going to start feeling literally in two, three seconds, a little bit kind of, um, how you say, butterflies, and then my knees are getting a little weaker. And that, that is, you know, that's, that's usually I'm like, ah, uh, no, 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 no. Fear is, it happens to everyone, and it's very, it's also needed sometimes. Fear is, speaking of biologically, you know, the bear chase you. The fear promotes such a crazy amount of adrenaline that the person can run faster than than a speeding car, you know, to in order to escape, you know. There were instances when when uh, a car kind of rolled over the baby and the father, without even realizing that lifting a car with one arm, you know, that you have to realize how powerful you are. And... So instead of screaming, you use that figure of no way of lifting this garbage up, you know. Um, fear is, it's important. I remember my coach said a couple of times, he says, before the fight, if you're not feeling fear, that you're probably going to lose. That you probably, there's two reasons. Probably either you're psycho or psychopath. Psycho, I think, psycho, uh, I believe, Psychos are psychos are made and psych, psychopaths. Sorry, sorry, sociopaths are made and psychopaths are born. You know, so psychopaths they not feel like any emotion. You know, if the person, let's say, a sociopath kills someone, and the police stops him, he's gonna have a crazy panic attack. While if the psychopath attacks, uh, kills a person and is stopped by by police, he's gonna be calm. Like nothing happened because it doesn't feel like he did anything wrong, you know. So either you're a psychopath or, or you or 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 you stupid, you know. Um, 
uh, that's that. So it's uh, it's normal to feel fe- uh, fear. How are we dealing with it? Uh, my personal experience is, again, like I said earlier, you know, I did all my work. Um, the thing is, it's also repetitions. You know, if you are, um, you kind of, when you're overpowering your fear, right? Whatever the fear is, fear of or laziness. Laziness and fear as well. Because it's kind of a, it's not a really emotion, laziness, but it is kind of emotion. You know, it's get, you almost feel it, you know. And uh, once you overpower it enough times, your body, your mentally and spiritually, you learn how to overcome it next time it's happened. And it takes faster and faster. First time might take you five minutes or more. Then it's going to be five, then four, three, and then, you know, then it happens. You know, somebody push you. Yeah, of course, if somebody attacks me on the street, it, it's going to be uh, kind of a fierce surprise which is probably going to transfer. I'm going to try to get aggression right away because, you know, you have to use it as, as this, some kind of an energy source, you know? Um, I remember, uh, my friends in Israel and his Russian father, he was from Moldova, actually, Kishinev, and he was in the army. He was telling us a story that he was a bullet all the time as because he was Jew. And uh, he was a very short guy, very short little Jewish man, you know. And one day he got so pissed that they punched him. And there was 10 guys and they start beating him, all of them. But he chose only one guy in the middle. And I say, I'm going to break his jaw, break his nose till I'm unconscious. That's what happened, you know. You kind of learn this. This We as the kids were like 12 years old. It was like, wow, this is like a total Rambo moment, you know. Versus Rambo was a movie, and that's like literally Rambo here is doesn't have to be six feet or six 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 six. The Rambo could be five two, you know. And it's not about the size, really. It's about how much heart you have. Yuri, I really want to um, bring up one night in particular for you on your journey. Um, bring you back to November fourteenth, two thousand and nine, MGM. Las Vegas. It's then when you become the world champion, WBA super weight champion. You're now the first Israeli boxing champion. And uh, you got the Israeli flag there, you know, it's nationally televised. Um, you're honoring Israel with the flag, but I'm curious to know what feelings were running through you uh, as the match was called in your favor. What was running through you? And uh, you could give us a little feelings into the prep going to that as well. I, you know what, it's, it's a, a kind of a, a thing that acceleration, like it's, it's a, I don't even know what's the, a being happy kind of a mint. It's, uh, mm. it was, it was something almost unbelievable, you know, that, uh, that's how I could have just, it's happened, but it's unbelievable. It's like, I believe it that it's happened, but it's, it's uh, still took me maybe another week after that um uh, to kind of when i wake up in the morning and i see the belt it's kind of i'm the world champion of the world it's like i can't believe it it's unbelievable you know and and this moment it, it's not something i never doubt myself i doubt myself so many times i i came to this country and it was american dream but american dream for me it was working from uh from 
nine to six, you know, in the garment district. And then after that, I had to get my uh, boxing gym and then run from the garment district to to Gleason's, uh, Brooklyn, Dumbo, Dumbo, um, Brooklyn, and and then train. And then in the end, you come home. It's about ten thirty in the night, you know. For eleven thirty, you going to sleep. But anyway, I doubted myself. I the, so many times, like probably a good three times, I wanted to quit and go back to Israel. Join my dad as working in the factory as is today. He is actually next room. Came to visit for a month. Uh, I haven't seen him in a year. Um, still doing what he does. You know, he's in the, working with his hands. It's a physical labor. Uh, partially, is in a good shape, thanks to it. Um, but that's that was my like it was American dream. Is a it's a tough it's a tough bargain. You know, it's not easy. <laughs> it's it's uh, you have to stay true to your to whatever you do, either it's podcast or business or or musical instrument or acting or or boxing. You know, you have to. My coach, Joe Greer, who I won the title with, who is in the video, he told me years ago, Yuri, uh, he told me, <laughs> actually, the way he says is like, he's a Vietnam veteran. I, I admire him so much. He's 75 years old. He still trains me. Today, I just finished training with him. And uh, it's amazing, you know. And uh, he told me, Yuri, remember, boxing is like a woman. If you misbehave, if you cheat on her, you're going to turn around and slap you across the face. Don't ever take a shortcut in your life, you know? And when he said that, it, it, this whole message permeated me uh, from my top of my skull all the way to my clothes. You are a soldier, you know? And so I wanted to quit many times, like at least three, three good times. And I remember that I telling myself, Yuri, you know what? And it's not the job that was that I was in the garment district working, or it's not the training. I love training, you know, but it's the trainer, the trainer who I have, who I who I stayed with for a good amount of time. You know, he was a toxic, malignant narcissist with with a kind of a bipolar megalomania, and I was nineteen years old. When I go into sleep, you know, when I go into sleep, I was thinking so many, so many, so many times over. I was thinking like, I'm going to go sleep next tomorrow night with a knife. Once I hear him snore, I'm going to cut his, cut his head off in the bath, you know, and I'll get rid of somehow, you know. Um, and because I was getting to the point that I couldn't deal with it. Because abuse, the mental abuse that I give me, it's, it's like, it kind of damaged me after that when I left him. Damaged me, I would say, probably for good three years. You know, I had to be like, to kind of, kind of shed off that thing, you know, because he was telling me, Yuri, Yuri, you don't have no talent. The only thing that God gave you, actually, actually two things that God gave you is he gave you a good, uh, hardworking addicts. And the second, the star in the in, in the sky is God gave you a talented coach in me. <laughs> that was me. And you know what? I believed that. I believed that I was so brainwashed. I so like 
like abused women who get abused and they get and stay and they stay in the marriage for years and years and years and they get abused, abused, abused. And now after that, I realize why, why they stay. I understand what it is because you've been hooked. You've been hooked on this, on this toxic, toxic person because when you do good, he praises you. He praises you like you are great and you're talented. You're going to be world champion and this and this. But once you do bad, you know, then it's whole hell break loose, you know. And retrospectively speaking, it's kind of, it, I felt like it was unnecessary for my probably development. At least, you know what? At least my sick mind tells me it was necessary. So at least when I feel like it was necessary, I trick myself that it was at least, at least, okay, no hard feeling here. <laughs> and your next manager was better though. So it was my coach, you know, it was not my manager. Oh, your coach. Okay. Coach, yeah. Um, uh -huh. I think it's just the tip of the iceberg, you know. You will have to have a lot of podcasts, a lot of series with that, just, just to cover that. From him, I moved to... You went to Joe Greer from him? Joe Greer was my trainer, yes. Um, but mm -hmm. once I moved out, I stayed with this guy for almost three years. Now, three years I was living with him. Mm -hmm. And I was waking up, I was walking to the train with him, going to the gym with him, going from the gym back home. You know, it was horrible, like, you know. Um, but then I got into kind of like usually when I would say when people from the abuse relationship, they're going to the next abuse relationship. That's what happened to me for the next 15 years after that. But that's, you know what, mm -hmm. that's a long story. I, I wanted to move to uh, the spiritual side for uh, for a bit because I think that there's an interesting relationship for you between kind of be between your boxing ascendancy and uh, and your spiritual development. I, you were you were raised religious, and from what I understand, for um, for a while during your uh, boxing career, even after you moved to the the U.S., you weren't uh, you were particularly um, orthodox. But then at a certain point. You got uh, you got involved with, I believe it was with uh, Rabbi Dober Pinson. Yes, and and then and then you started uh, learning more and incorporating that into your into your life. So I wanted to, to have you talk about that a little bit, and I wanted to I wanted to also know. So once that starts becoming a part of your day to day life and a part of your uh, your routine and your thinking. So what are, A, how does it influence, um, how did it influence your career in a, in a positive sense? And also B, what challenge, what if any challenges did it bring uh, when you have this whole other factor, you know, it's not just, okay, my only goal is to be uh, the best boxer possible, but you also have this goal of, oh, I want to develop myself um, spiritually as well and, you know, learn more about my roots and, and grow in that sense. So I'm sure there were some conflicts that arise that arose. So uh, I want to know what those were and how you dealt with them. Sure. Um, so yeah, in Israel and clearly in Soviet Union, my parents as well, they moved to Israel, not because of religious or, or Jewishness, uh, aspirations or anything like that. Uh, we was, uh, we lived far away from, uh, from Judaism, even though being in the land of Israel, um, mm -hmm. And in Israel, 
you know, we didn't know what is Shabbat or anything. We'll never get invited or anywhere, somewhere or Chabad house. Or, uh, and honestly, I had a little bit kind of a fear of, of men, men in black, the real men in black, you know, but, um, so that was not my thing. And in the end, I also thought that in order to be, uh, let's say a rock musician or a boxer or this, you, it's a one path. You have to choose one path, you know, Very, like my, my mom, my mom says like, you know, you concentrate on something. Thing. Don't, don't look at the multitasking. Thing. You know, it's not, it's not for you, you know? And, and I realized that, you know, we get so much, so much projection from, from our, from our parents and I'd say teachings, not this, oh, a lot of teachings as well, but also projection. We, we, we get a lot of fears from our families, you know, that's why all the families want you to be a doctor because it's a, for sure, this, you know, business of sick people is always going to be booming anyway, you know, being a lawyer, you know, so it's kind of, it's, it's, it's gives your parents kind of a, at ease at least that that you know your your kids having a, a, a degree that they're gonna have secure job you know um but but they also project because they project because they came from the old old you know europe you know persecutions and all that so we got all that with them also with the mother milk you know but i consider myself lucky with the first trainer you know my first trainer at seven years old i uh, think a lot about him. He just three years ago, he passed away um, in, in Belarus. Uh, but I consider myself lucky because he, I remember when I lost my first fight when I was seven years old, he, I was crying. I was crying in the phone because I, that's the first time I, I, I encountered this kind of emotion before that I actually lost. And the other kid is better than me, you know, and, and, and uh, my coach got me, hugged me. I was seven years old. And uh, he told me, Yuri, one day, one day, just continue doing what you're doing. One day you're going to be world champion. You know, and, it was, and it's so funny because 2009 when I called him and, and he picked up the phone and said, I told you, the first, that's his first words. I told you so. I told you, you remember. And uh, so it was, it was kind of like really, really great. But also I consider myself... Uh, lucky with the first rabbi, you know, Rabbi Dovid Pitts, you know, is very uh, good, is a good person, very soft, very, but very knowledgeable and very, you know, how to connect with the person, you know, and uh, so I felt, you know, there's the saying, you know, like, for example, about trainers, you know, everybody, if you're going to Instagram, right, everybody's a trainer, now. everybody, everybody, there's so many thousands, thousands of of uh, boxing accounts, you know, and everybody's a trainer. That's one thing. Uh, everybody's a trainer, but not everyone is a teacher. You know, it's a there's a big distinction between the two. You know, you could be a rabbi and you could be a teacher, or you can be just a rabbi. You know, and a rabbi not necessarily mean a teacher, even though it's mean teacher. <laughs> but you need to teach someone certain things. A trainer not going to mold you into one mold. Everyone else, you know, you cannot create uh two three four mike tyson there's only one mike tyson and have to, you have to understand this there's one yossi there's one aaron and and you could be achieved your best you could not achieve aaron's best or vice versa you know 
And, and that's what I consider that with the coach, my first coach and Joe Greer. Joe Greer is something that he lets me be me, but he corrects me in terms of my intentions in the ring. Same thing with Robert Pinson. He, of course, yeah, you have to get your basics. You have to, in Judaism, you have to get your basics. And, uh, and, uh, as, as, as like, kind of, I can relate to, um, like a boxing stance, you know, it could be boring, you know, this, but as a boxer, I already had discipline, you know, and in Judaism, Judaism, by the way, you need to be a very disciplined person to observe, to be Jew, you know, it's, it's not just so many laws. It just it just Shabbat, you know. We get addicted to this to this stupid devices in our face more than our loved ones, you know. And uh, and once once a week, you know, twenty five hours. You put this down, you turn it off, and it takes dedication. It takes discipline. Eating kosher is discipline, you know, and uh, other things, you know, if you're married and stuff like that. Um, but I consider Robert Pinson also teaching me certain things that was was kind of felt like it was for me perfect, you know. Now as changes, yeah, if you're a professional fighter and then you sound like observing, observing my first my first fights, even if you go into boxrack.com, I think I'm pretty sure there's a couple one couple fights there in Fridays. You know, if you take the date. And you check it out the day that's going to be a Friday night. Uh, I used to fight Friday night and I had no problem. But then, as my earlier, when I was saying that, that sometimes you are in the galut, so to speak, the personal galut, you know, my, I came here by myself. My, my dad is in Israel. I don't have no friends here. My friends left in Israel as well. Even though, yeah, I got great friends now. Um, but my mom passed away in 98, you know, so I was by myself. You know, and uh, and at this moments when you're like literally this spiritual galut, you know, you need some kind of a backbone. You know, I was so not aware of spirituality or that I'm that that Judaism or anything. I don't like. Let me go maybe to church or something. You know, maybe just sit there. Maybe it will permeate me. I was thinking church. <laughs> so, but then I realized, like, dude, dude, wait, 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 wait. To the synagogue right next to me, you know. Um, I went to one synagogue. I didn't know what synagogues even there's all the old different. And apparently, I went to synagogue that later on I realized it was reformed synagogue. It was Friday night. I went there. Everybody's singing, and I stayed there for twenty minutes. I left away. I was like, nope, it's not for me. I was like, nope, I'm not doing this thing. Um, then I thought like maybe I should go maybe to some see the the eastern the eastern teachings you know this yin yang and all that bruce lee sort of things you know but then i i noticed like there was actually a chabad house i don't know it was chabad hopefully it's better than the reform i'm like okay maybe let me check it out this uh was little carol gardens at that time um there was um benai abraham chabad house um uh, uh, uh robert ruskin and um I went there and it was on Wednesday, there was Robert Pinson teaching. So I came there and I got hooked, you know, I got hooked right away. That's it. And I got invited the same date for Shabbat, next Saturday. Yuri, why do you think it hooked you? Like, was it the authenticity from the rabbi? Was it like the teachings? Uh, you know, what what fueled your faith? And then I asked that, you know, um, with so much respect because you 
you've showed, you've been so so proud in that, and it's really inspiring. Uh, I um, like I would say maybe like seven years prior to that, um, for the first time when I had to come to United States, you know, to share, I had to I had to get visa, you know, so I had to travel to Jerusalem, Jerusalem to the U.S. consulate, I had to get the visa, you know. And um, so for the first time in eight years in Israel, I went to Jerusalem. I've never been in Jerusalem before. And I got there really, really early. You know, before, like I got there 7, 7 a.m., consulate opened at 9.30 or 10. And I figured I have much time too. So I went to old city. And I was watching, I was walking, and I was looking, and I was like a very spiritual, like, holy crap, there's like amazing. There's like, there's like biblical character at some point walking right here you know, it was, and you had never been there before it was your first time in the old city yeah first time in in, in wow old, you know and i was like holy, holy things you know i went to um i went to the christian part and and then i went to the the islam part it was all very cool you know and uh then i went to to the quota you know and the israeli soldiers just over top just watching it as a people praying with shaharit you know um, I didn't know what is Shaharit anyway, so I went there and and I noticed I wanted just to touch the the wall, you know, because in our school, in uh, middle school in Israel, there was a bunch of pictures of these big rocks, the wall, you know, and people touching it, and I was like always sitting there thinking, what the f- is a big deal about this, you know, and anyway, I got there and. Um, I got there and I noticed like people writing things, putting piece of papers there, you know. <laughs> so I asked one Jew and uh ask him, My my Muslim. Uh and he says, Listen, you write whatever you want, whatever is in your heart, whatever your wishes are. And Hashem and little points his palm up to the heaven, you know, and Hashem gonna take care of it. I was like I was like, Okay, is is the, it's cost money? It's an art. Feel free, by the way. But those who are in, Israel, in Jerusalem, I highly recommend. It's still one of the free things you can do. Um, and uh, so I wrote the three things, being, you know, kind of teenager, dumb teenager. I want three things, you know. I want to, first of all, I want to be a world champion. I want to marry a good woman. And I want to, and please, God, God, like, guides me guide me in my in my way you know that's it so so retrospectively answering to uh, answer i think that judaism helped me to be better boxer kind of and, and vice versa so i would say um kind of i would say judaism i had to be first find judaism on my way to become world champion mm. because when i won the world title um it's helped me to kind of remain anchored, anchored yeah, like. mm. Mm. So you you hit the you hit the pinnacle, you hit the the peak, the apex with winning the world title, and then post that. So you know where does your life from there? It's been a whole journey, and it's is it thirty years? Where does one go after winning the world title? And do you see yourself? as a role model, do you see yourself as having a particular sort of role as both Orthodox Jew and a holder of the, of the world champion? Uh, so what is your role now? 
and how do you see it evolving in uh, in the years to come? I uh, I mentioned as I mentioned in the intro, you have this um, you have this Hesher, uh, the uh, vegan boxing rabbi, and you're you're um, dedicated to healthy living. So what, how how does all of this play a role in in your informant in, in uh, 2023 and 2033 and moving forward? So um, thank you for the question. So it's kind of I do spend great deal, and I'm gonna continue on doing that of trying to bring the awareness for physical education because in order also to have a spiritual education education sorry um or achieve kind of a potential your spiritual potential you cannot forget about your body your your body you you have only one body you know, you have only one soul. Uh, according to Kabbalists, maybe there's a couple of souls, you know. But anyway, from the lane main perspectives, you know, um, you have one body. And it's very important that it's fit and it's healthy. And that's how a, a, a strong spirit is going to be residing within that. Because once you... Um, um, expanding the horizon your physical horizons of what you're capable of doing you also by default expanding the spiritual horizon you know that's why people sitting let's say having sedentary uh, lifestyle sitting on a chair all the time you know they might get more prone for depression they get more prone for fears depressions uh lack of confidence in themselves you know you need to move that's one and uh uh, for the kids, it's very important for the kids to know that we have giant as a people before 100 years ago, 50 years ago, every, every generation. Rebbe, you know, Rebbe, look at his, look at his face. What is like a black and white picture of him? You know, he is a person, when I look at him, you don't want to say anything extra to him. You say only what is it because he might slap you. You know, if you say something like half market, you know, um, on the way as well, we, me and my wife, we, we, we opened this uh, LLC thing uh, called VBR, VBR, Vegan Boxing and uh, Rabbi, you know, Rabbits and Rabbi, you know, it's kind of, I kind of, I would say umbrella term for kind of a lifestyle because what you eat, what you put in your system, every Jew, you have to consider yourself as a sport car not a minivan even though we have minivans it's a great car but consider yourself as top of the line a sport car you don't want to put crap in that car because you put crap in this car that car not going to perform you know and i'm talking about not just physically perform but also spiritually perform you know um so that's uh having a clean diet <clears throat> boxing a physical education for kids and, and hopefully it will expand more and have more classes of maybe schools will be more open to have more more physical education jewish schools you know and uh, yeah and, and just that so that that is that's what for now that's what it is however even though i won the title um 13 years ago 14 years ago um i i don't want to like said the uh, I don't know, upset the listeners. 
I'm still fighting, you know, I'm still making a comeback. I'm fighting with my coach who came out of retirement just to train me. And it's just interesting also to see now as a contrast when I was fighting um, back then and now and versus to now. I'm, I'm 42. In August, I'm going to be 43, you know. And it's not a spring chicken in boxing world, you know. Most everyone, 99% of all boxers at 43, they're really, they're retired. Long time retired, you know. So, but... I feel uh, I have the fire in me and I have desire and I have the right people around me. I want to I wanna do more than what I did. And and usually people who are in boxing world, of course, they see, oh, here it go, Yuri coming back because he probably needs money. It's the bottom, rock bottom now. Look, he needs to go back and just smash his brain a little bit more. So it's nothing like that. Again, it's... It's my journey, and um, I stand by it. <laughs> I'll be rooting for your return, and, and, and who knows, maybe we'll get that matchup with Manny. It's interesting what the life going to take us to, because I could not even like, imagine in Israel that at some point I'm going to find uh, Judaism, and I'm going to be a rabbi, and... And even though uh, if somebody could tell me you're going to be a world champion, I'll be like, you know, like I can't believe it. So. Listen, George Foreman, George Foreman won it, uh, won the title at 45, right? 45, yes. So, yeah, there you go. He's 45. And so I already actually told him, uh, I spoke with him a couple of times on uh, Messenger and Facebook. <laughs> One of my guys, you know, and the. Uh, it was like a, one of the highlights that happened months ago. I just met him. Mm-hmm. He was, he posted on Facebook. A, he, um, he was in Germany in one of the, um, a, um, it was a memorial for all the Jew, um, Jewish people who'd been slaughtered in the Second World War. And it was a big memorial. And he was just mm-hmm. in that memorial and, and they had like a wise words is because George, George Form is a very wise person. Very wise priest, you know, and I just mm-hmm. comment, I just commented on him. Um, Thank you for sharing this this picture, and he responded to me. It's good to see you here, champs. And how are you doing, George Foreman? You talking to me? I was like, no way. So I told him that I told him Yuri, in English means George. So I told him I am technically I am George Foreman, and I just said. That, well, you're George Foreman the seventh. That was just, it sounds like a joke, but it just really happened. It's kind of cool, you know. So I have, I have a great idea for a fight. If we get George Foreman, if we get Yuri, you two guys fighting, that'll be, that'll be a real, I think it's a real hit maker. He's, I think, he, what is he, 75? Yeah, we got you guys in, in, uh, in Madison Square Garden or uh, Barclay Center. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Definitely would want him if I'm fighting for the title, or I not. I should not even say if. I should say when I'm fighting for the title. It's funny because I got into my own trap. You know, um, I usually tell people, don't say if, say when. I tell my kids, don't say if, say when. When it happens, I can tell you one thing. I'll definitely be there ringside. Um, I want to thank you for coming on. You're really. Uh, I know you're an inspiration for a lot of people. As a Jew, 
as a fighter, um, as an advocate for, for fitness and spirituality. And uh, I'm grateful to, to have you as a coach and, and I'm happy to be able to come on. And um, looking forward to, uh, to seeing your name in the, in the bright light very soon. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Yossi. I appreciate your time. Thanks for having me.